All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. I got news for you, pal. You ain't leading but two things right now. Jack and shit. Jack left town. Well, hello, Mr. Fancy Pants. in my office and I heard a rock. Describe the rock, sir. Does this mean we're not friends anymore? You guys need to I'm in my prime. Out of your mind. Ain't it cool? First you want to kill me, now you want to kiss me. Blow. Good. Bad. I'm the guy with the gun. Or maybe Neko is the girl with the concrete gun. <laughs> DJ Nubis. DJ Neko. Yeah, she was taking a little while just to respond. She didn't know how to respond to that. So I was, I was doing a little concrete work on the steps. I'm probably gonna have to do it. Yeah, little... like you know, I'm, it's like a role reversal here. Like I'm the woman and she's the man. I know. I'm the sailor and I I do all the stuff. She talks like me. a sailor. I do. Talks like a sailor. I do. Uh, oh, like there's all... no male hookers in port. Like <laughs> that's the problem. I feel like we're not as women being properly like. There's no equality there. Yeah, we're not being represented. Like. There's all these hookers for the guys, but there's never any hookers for me. And I need hookers too when I get into court. I would like. She you needs know, some man meat. I need some man meat, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> but now, uh, just continuing on with our home repairs, and she discovered a nice little way to do some patchwork, which looked real good. It's really we'll nice. We'll see. We'll see if it cracks. And if it does, I'm just painting. I'm Then we'll just do what we're going to do anyway and get someone to repair it, you know? I feel like it, it'll be fine, like, be, the biggest problem was there was, like, a big hunk out of our our steps, so I, even if, like, the skim coat cracks, just because it's a really thin skim coat, I'm just gonna get that concrete, like, tinted sealer and just paint over it, and I just didn't want the steps to crumble apart. That yeah. was my big thing. Well, we've been kind of battling this issue for a two or three years now because like it's for whatever reason it's just chipping away and crumbles and then when you're out there you know trying to shovel snow and it just rocks are coming up it's just ugly but i hope i've i hope i've got like some sort of skills i just look i just google stuff all the no, time it's been pretty done pretty good we've gotten all sorts of stuff done and getting done at the house so that's good but we're not going to bore you anymore with yeah, that. Yeah, home repairs are boring. Watching some college football, Virginia beating Louisville, so I'm happy about that. Got We got lots of great music coming your way. Uh, this is episode 90 of the Hordes of Chaos. 
some good topics as well. We caught a movie last night as well as um, a documentary, which is interesting. And then, of course, just a couple of news bits. And one, one topic I was thinking about over the week and uh, about the definition of a metalhead, and I, I think it's interesting. It also kind of plays into the, uh, the other talk about the uh, Popless Brothers skateboarding. There's some things there that I correlate with that. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> Uh, but we got uh, new music from Aeront, uh, Massamore, Black Nose Stuff coming on our first block. We also got A Feather and Bone, Loud Blast, new stuff from them. Pulsar, uh, In the Rock Block, new ACDC. Neko's Pick of the Week, some new Fates Warning and Paramaze as well is in there. Um, War Agenda, and uh, some more stuff later on as well. So we're going to kick it off our first block, continue with our black metal thing, because Sorcery DeGlacy's opened it up with new stuff from them with a uh, cover of Necromantic called The Warlock. Uh, this is a classic, though, from Breed. I believe it's from Pitch Black. It's called Helvete. Here we go. Helvete.
German Treasures Battle Creek and you're listening to Metal Tavern Radio. Alright, we're back. DJ Anubis. And DJ Neko. Alright, so episode 90 of the Hordes of Chaos. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And uh, first thing that's up is we got to check out a movie last night called Lingering. Yeah, that was... I actually, I actually kind of like that movie. Um, it, it had some scary moments, and it had a really interesting kind of plot. Like, I think the scariest part, though, were some of the effects. You know, the, the, it was a Korean movie, so it had, like, those... Yeah, it has those traditional... Traditional Asian, like... Dark hair. Boogity boogities. But it was almost like a mystery and more like a. um, Yeah, it turned out. It wasn't so much of. Because it was all about these hauntings, but the hauntings were kind of more like leading you into somebody who's actually out there murdering a bunch of people. It was really kind of crazy. Yeah, I started to figure it out at some point, but like. But I was happy that it turned out that way. It wasn't just, like, you know, a corny thing. Like, everything works very well. Uh, There's a bit of a review on heavenofhorror.com that kind of touches a little bit on it. Um, The score is about the same. I think I would get about a 7 out of 10. Like, it wasn't breaking any new ground, but it was really good, considering some of the stuff we've been watching lately. Oh, yeah. I think we purposely have been watching, like, the worst stuff lately. We started watching that movie last night. Pleasures of the Damned, and I just hit we about stopped. two seconds in. I, was like, I mean, it was nothing but really bad mullet wigs, and it was an Italian film that they... they, were, they it was a modern-day Italian film that they were trying to dub over and make it look like a 70s mm-hmm. retro grindhouse thing, and it just came out very badly. Um... But this Korean flick, uh, Lingering, was pretty good. I uh, can't really ever, you know, aside from Yu In Kyung, I, I'm probably butchering their names. I don't even want to try. But I guess it's also on IMDb is listed as Hotel uh, Lake. But it's actually called Lingering on Shutter. So and it's a Shutter uh, original. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so basically you've got this woman who has a very younger sister. I, keep, I want to say sister because I kept trying to make her her daughter. Yeah, he kept saying, that's her daughter. I'm like, no, that's her sister. But their mother passes away after working at a hotel with one of her longtime friends who's the owner of the hotel. So when that happens, of course, the older daughter is taking a younger daughter and they're going there to... I don't know what they were initially doing. Well, she said there, when or? she first got there she needed to get a, a job. You know, mm, she could yeah. get a job... For a few months so she could get on her feet again. And she knew the boss owner very well from her childhood. so they. And she used to spend her summers there before she went to school. But of course, once she gets there at the hotel, the younger sister starts seeing people and seeing uh, a lady that's befriended her who no one else can see. Uh, there's some other workers there who have experiences and end up disappearing and... It, it off the right off the bat you kind of get these little jump scares and then there's like as Neko said there's certain effects and just the way they use the camera work like one thing I really liked was even the ending sequence uh, remind me a little bit of the Shining at the beginning of the Shining like the drive away 
up the, the mountainside oh, with yeah. the dawn coming over. Like, those are just some really cool shots um, you don't really expect. Um, and it, it's got some good scares in it. I mean, it, it, you know, it's not, it's a little bit bloody, not super gory, but it's got some scenes there, like, they discover stuff, and you're like, wow. <laughs> uh, yeah, so once everything starts unraveling, it, it just kind of gives it a lot more, st I'm trying to think of what it might compare to, because... There are other movies similar in effect. Like, what, do you ever did you ever see uh, What Lies Beneath, mm -hmm. a Harrison Ford mm -hmm. and Michelle Fire? It's mm -hmm. got that kind of vibe. Oh, it also kind of feels like that one with Kevin Bacon. Yeah, Starbeckos. Yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. when they find the 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 ghost is in there, but then they're like finding out what happens, and they find the body that's, of that little girl. That's a girl. great example. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's got some twists and turns in there that are nice. So if you want to check it out, it's on Shudder. I don't know if it's something you can probably rent. Yeah, we, we do Shudder Premium. Yeah, it's worth it. It's like five or six bucks a month. Um, so check it out. All right, well, in this next block, we got some new A Feather and Bone as well as new Loud Blast. But i kick it off some Fear Factory. I've been kind of dying to hear this song, which I haven't played in a while. From Soul of a New Machine, Big God Rapes Souls. Oh, you like, you like that, uh, owl. Mm. In America today, every 25 fucking seconds, someone is viciously raped, someone is brutally violated. 250 times a day, someone is murdered, someone's life is taken. In America, this is America, this is America, and I love America, I love America!
Looking for a place to take care of all your automotive needs? Then get in touch with Stauffer's Auto Service in Millersville, Maryland. Stauffer's takes care of all auto repairs, auto service, and great quality parts as well. Stauffer's is located at 8328 Veterans Highway, Suite E in Millersville. Be sure to call and check out all their service specials related to your automotive needs. Stauffer's is professional, friendly, and has highly qualified mechanics to do excellent work with prices that are fair and much better than what you will find at other automotive places. So call 410-729-0121. That's 410-729-0121. And tell them the newsman and his trusty sidekick, Neko, sent you So, I was thinking about something the other day, <laughs> uh, because I remember seeing uh, a post by somebody, because, you know, the whole thing with the American politics and everything else. Like, that again? Well, not so much the politics about it, but it, it started the discussion about, like, the person made a comment that, you know... I don't see how a metalhead could be for this because metal doesn't represent what that is. And I don't know, like, I get it that traditionally heavy metals against anti-capitalism, anti-establishment, stuff like that, but I never really saw it that way growing up as a young kid. Like, obviously that was a part of it, but for me personally, it's always been about individualism and you know, for me to, like, rebel against everything. Like, uh, I don't think just one particular way is bad compared to another way. So if we're going to put it in political terms, you know, you find that a lot of people who are metalheads are generally left-leaning people. But that doesn't mean that, like, I agree with everything that the left does. So, like, even if I disagree with, like, all, like, you know, Christians and, you know, the bigotry that some of the conservatives bring... Uh, it doesn't mean that I'm saying the left is, like, totally right in what they're trying to do. So, like, I just think there can be sheeple on both ends that are bad. Like, I just, to me, I rebel against everything if I feel like it doesn't really coincide with who I am as a person. So, I don't know. When I, the question is, you know, is there a real definition of what a metalhead is? And I think, just like everything else, it's sort of expanded over the years and crossed over to many different things. I don't think it really means one thing. Like, when you go look at, like, old-school punk, it was all about anarchism and stuff like that. But, and even though you have some of that in metal, you do, we know people personally that are, like, Christians and they're metalheads, and we know the people that are conservatives and metalheads. So, it's a little mixture of everything. So, I don't really think, when someone makes a comment like, yeah, I don't understand how you can be for this, or be for Trump, if you're against... And, and that's not saying I am for Trump, but it, it, people bring up that all the time. Like, you can't be a metalhead if you are a conservative or a Christian. I'm like, that's bullshit. <laughs> because I think it's all based on your own perception, experiences, and observations in your life. Uh, the way that I look at life now is not the same that I looked at it when I was, like, 13 through 18. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? So, um, even though I am a libertarian as well as you are... We have some conservative uh, values and viewpoints that we have, but we also have some very left-leaning viewpoints. And so I don't think it's really just based off one particular 
type of video when people again when people makes a comment like that I'm like that doesn't make sense because you can rebel against something but then if you're just a sheeple and you're doing this on the left and you're just following whatever they tell you you're not really being uh, your yourself anyway you're not being an individual and you're, you're just going along with the crowd so I think you have to be wary about the kind of stuff that you're pushing no matter if you're conservative or democratic what's your thoughts um I really don't think you need to like put everything into little boxes like conservative agreed you know metalhead Christian I I don't even know like I was a very young child when I got into metal and it wasn't even about a rebellion or it was about like I grew up listening to my mom listen to a lot of 70s rock and Black Sabbath and while I was I was young I was maybe like 10 or 11 that's when I first heard Metallica and for me, it was just like, you know, there's not much for 10 or 11 year olds really to rebel against. Like, right. I'm not getting my snack. You know, I hate my life. Yeah, I mean, the worst thing for us as, as teens or kids mm -hmm. is that we rebel against our parents. And but, it's not really the same thing. But that's what I mean. For me, I'm like, it's just, I like to enjoy the music. That's all it's been for me is I, and you know, I get really... Because now that metal has kind of expanded its palette so much, before you would think of heavy metal, it would just be like ACDC, for example, or Black Sabbath, like the early, early, I guess, iterations of metal. But as we, you know, started hitting the 80s, you have the hair metal, you have the thrash metal everything is kind of like branching off and again it's sometimes to me it's just a preference i i like a lot of that older stuff because it's very nostalgic and i enjoy the music when we start now like we were just listening to a bunch of black metal it's not really my uh my cup of tea but that doesn't make me not a metalhead just because i don't like that particular song i for me, it's just enjoyment. And sometimes, too, like right now... Well, that's actually a great point because, you know, we're not Satanists and we don't practice witchcraft or anything like that, but we like dark music. and so We like dark music. We like dark imagery. We're also not into chainsawing people in half, so... But we're a big death metal fan. If so, you I mean, saw us, you would be like, you guys are squares. There's nothing... Right. I mean, at all, that we do not look scary. We don't... I look like a nerd. Most people say I look like Velma from Scooby-Doo. And that's the truth. I'm. We're just very, very plain people. I don't even look the part most of the time. But we have a passion for the music. Exactly. That's, but I think I learned for me, early, that's all it is. Yeah, I think I learned early on... And this goes back to the 80s when D. Snyder went into Congress and was fighting against the PMRC. And, you know, people often forget that, you know, Tipper Gore is the wife of Al Gore. And they're left-leaning. And they were trying to censor everything that metal stands for. So, like, 
it just it, I always find it funny when people try to bring these issues up and try to make it only about one one way as a metalhead. I'm like, that's not true. You have to look at what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not just conservatives that are trying to shut us up or even shut us up at all. Uh, sometimes it's the people that you align with politically that are trying to do this. So, and she didn't even think that Dee Snyder was gonna. Oh, he's he's he, he schooled her so yeah, bad. Yeah, he he made this amazing argument, so articulate. He's a a very intelligent man, and she was going off of the stereotypical metalhead who wants to drink all night and sleep till noon. You know what? Sometimes I like to sleep till noon. I do it a lot. As a matter of fact, I got a lot of shit going on, and when I have a day off and I can sleep in. It's wonderful. I got up at 5 a.m. a lot of times. I ain't got time for that shit. I want to sleep in. I want to sleep in. That's yeah. fine. A lot. Of, I think a lot of this, and for me and you, you like you were saying, um, we are both very libertarian, and for us, it's all about you know personal freedoms. I don't think that when uh, Tipper Gore was was going after, and the whole PRMC was going after the metal scene. She was trying to basically sanitize everything. And, it, and a lot of this was happening, when was this? Late 80s, early 90s? Late 80s yeah. Then. So a lot of this type of thing was happening, you know, were book bannings and um, remember the satanic panic in the 80s where all these people were being accused of being. It was kind of that time. It was a Reagan era where it was very much a straight laced conservative ruling class and I believe that had a lot to do with what was happening um, you know stereotypes are clearly they come from somebody but I mean he he and I were we we work we just enjoy the music and enjoy the scene ourselves we we know a lot of metalheads who they have great jobs and they're very intelligent people it's it's sad that, you know, you have to kind of say, oh, I'm being a metalhead, so that makes me an anarchist, or I don't like, and I don't I don't know where you saw this Facebook or one of your, your forums or whatever for the comment that, like, you have to be what really is a metalhead. A metalhead is a mom. A metalhead is, you know, somebody's husband. It could be, you know, you see the kids nowadays are, are going to the concerts with their parents. It's... A metalhead is just a person, really. Well, the other thing, to, and I, it wasn't really like any particular article on this kind of stuff. I mean, there's obviously articles out there about defining metalheads and mm -hmm. what it means. And I just found one person that, you know, had made a comment about how it was always against the establishment and everything else. But some of his, uh, he tried to say that heavy metal is always inclusive and always accepting. And I, he made a couple of points in here that... I disagree with Harv Harley, and I don't think he remembers. Either he's either too young and doesn't remember, or just doesn't know what he's talking about. But one of the things he made was you could take an iconic Rob Halford, for example. When he came out as gay, nobody cared. That's false. That's really yeah. The band themselves gave a shit. Okay, you have to do your fucking research here. Uh, the band did not want him. They did not accept him for what he was until much later. It was funny because like I was not surprised i'm like you who's surprised by this at all but honestly back to what i was kind of like inferring with the 80s everything is everything that goes on in metal is 
a mirror of what is going on in society at the same time. Maybe not a, a direct mirror, but you look at how life was. This was right after Painkiller, so it was like, what, 92 when he came out as gay? 1990. 90? Well, that's... Look at the AIDS scare. And it took well over two, well, three to four years. And we're talking like 94 before, because he had started doing his little band too, which was more experimental alternative. And then he went into the band Fight. Uh, and by then, people have seen that he still had that metal edge. Said, oh, you know what? It doesn't really matter. He's gay. He's still kicking ass with Fight. So, in the other, the other uh, example this person was given was how the metal scene embraced Striper. That's also false. I'm sorry. I, I lived it. I was there. Striper was frowned upon a lot. Some people obviously, like myself, enjoyed the music, understood what they were doing, was able to separate that from the Motley Crews, the Rats, and all that. But a lot of people did not like it because they were Christian. You saw it during the 90s with these when you start having later in the 90s, we start having these unblack metal bands, which were basically black metal that were Christian. It's the same thing. They're not always welcome at all. There's a big uh, divisiveness within metal when it comes to shit like this. Oh, I know. Especially now that um, black metal is not mainstream as much as, let's say, just typical thrash metal is. But in these subgenres, people like go after each other. I'm you're not true black metal if you don't like this band. Right. Honestly, true black metal sounds like shit. It sounds like a bunch of trash can lids being banged together with poor production quality. And me, I'll say something like, well, I really liked... Um, well, here in 2020, the metal scene is much better. I, I agree, and it's... Uh, I feel but like But back it's... in 1990 and the 80s, no. It, it was very... Like, I remember how controversial was for me to like poison or like um oh because you weren't a true metalhead well no no you know i could listen to metallic and everything but like even when metallic was at their height i was the anthrax guy i'm like no anthrax is better Mm -hmm. because you know i was just trying to buck the system i liked anthrax Uh, i felt like metallica despite how good they were people were just kind of overhyping them so I was, you know, I'm like somebody we know <laughs> doing that. But what? Uh, I'll tell you about it later. I don't, I don't want to do that. But uh, <laughs> the point is, the way that metal fans acted back in the, the late '80s, early '90s is far different than they act in 2020. Okay, it, it well, just... let's stop there. Again, it's a reflection on how society is in 2020 versus how society was in 1990 right. and in the and... '80s. I, Again, I'm saying we're evolving. As... We're evolving as people, though. Metal is a direct influence on what is going on in society, and sometimes there are bad parts of society. But as people in the '80s, like you said, it was you were an outcast, you're a devil worshiper, you had some problems that when you were a kid that your parents thought you were a problem child, and you did absolutely nothing wrong. It was only because of the music choice that you made because that was the Reagan era. It was very straight-laced conservative and then you're listening to metal and it's, oh, my son's going to be a mass murderer. Hmm. You, you, further you go into music and the further you go into life, now we are, as people, more accepting of everything. You know, we accept people for who they are and I think that 
is also reflected in the metal community. You you see lots of different types of people, lots of different ages. You know, we're the old people now. We're not the young people. But then you have, you know, teenagers coming to these shows. I, I honestly believe that music in itself, even metal music, is a reflection of what society is going through at the time. Yeah, it's always generally a personal thing for me. Like, growing up, it was, you know, metal has always been my outlet for anything that I was mm -hmm. dealing with as a kid or even in my 20s. And now, you know, obviously life's better and I've kind of got my shit together. I'm with you and things are much, much better than they ever were. But it's always been a personal thing with me. Like, I can't go into every metal band and say, oh, these lyrics resonate with me when they really don't because some of the lyrics are just so off-the-wall crazy or as much as I like black metal stuff in general, like, a lot of it, as far as the paganism, the Satanism, whatever, doesn't, it means nothing to me. It's just a topic that these guys uh, sing about. They may believe it in themselves, which is fine. I've always supported that with any artist. Uh... You know, and that's why I like artistic freedom with these bands because even if you listen to a band who sings about uh, the history of racism or whatever, and they're you know they're not frowned upon, I may not care about those bands and I may not listen to those bands, but I would always support their right to say whatever what they want in their music. That's their creative freedom. I don't have to like it. I don't have to buy it. Whatever. But as fans, like, I don't think there's one true direction or calling. And even though we all kind of fight against, you know, the bullies or we all try to fight fight for equality and justice, they're just, it's not always a, a clear-cut case, especially when the supposed group that you are aligned with doesn't really always do the good things either. We, we've seen a hundred times the Democrats let their own people down. And I'm not trying to make this overly political. I'm not trying to say the conservatives are great. But I'm just trying to show that, like, there's always gray area in there. And I think that it just all depends so on the individual. So you think the metalheads live in the gray area? I would hope that most do. Some don't. When you make statements like, well, I don't understand why you'd be for, instance, the cops. Like, yeah, I know there's corruption there. But that doesn't mean every cop's bad. And it doesn't mean that having law... And abiding by laws is a bad thing. And so there's always going to be this disconnect with certain people who can't understand that. They'll just, and again, it's their own personal view and, and their experiences. But for me, I've had some very good experiences with cops when I could have had very bad experiences with cops. I've had a gun pulled in my face. It's all about how I reacted. I had to hold myself accountable for my own bullshit behavior. I was a teenager. And if I had handled it wrong, I would have been dead, and I wouldn't be here. Well, we always, I don't know if we've ever shared the story about my encounter with the police. Like, I could have I gone to jail, and my life probably would have been a lot different, but instead the police uh, called you. Yeah. Come I get you your drunk wife. Yeah, I, I could have, I was drinking and driving, which is not something I don't ever do anymore. After that, I said I had one pass, one I never. She gives me the chauffeur. Right oh now. yeah, if, if I need to, if I want to go out and drink, Uber. And, Uber's Uber. like the best thing yeah. ever. Really. I don't care if I have a forty dollar Uber ride. I got my one pass. I wasn't even like 
blitzed. I had a couple of beers on the way home from seeing a friend. We were, it was right before our wedding. We were planning my wedding and I had to pee and I pulled over to the side of the road, a dark, dark road that nobody goes down, but there happened to be two police officers who saw me on the side of the road. because she had her flashers on. Well, I, I, I was kind of ducking behind my, my vehicle and I think the police officer thought I was trying to change my tire and they wanted to help me. And then he asked me if I had been drinking and I said I had. And he asked me if there was anybody I could call instead of arresting me and taking me in after I had... I mean, it was very, very late at night, but I mean, he could have easily just arrested me, taken me to jail. I would have had to deal with a DUI. I wouldn't have been able to get the kind of job that I have now with a DUI on my record. And it could have ruined my life for a very, very long time. But I, w I don't know why. Maybe they were just being lazy. Or they were well, just being see, nice. They, the they called him to come pick me up. I parked my car and he picked me up and took me home instead of them taking me to jail and arresting me. And that's the thing. Like People might look at that and say, well, that's not very metal. Metal's going to fucking jail or no, punching I, a cop. In the that's no. really not really metal. Uh, that's just being an adult. Yeah. Metal is <laughs> me being able to keep my job and not go to jail and pay my bills. That's really metal, actually. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I have a lot of, you know, you and I have a lot of friends in the metal scene, uh, local metal scene, that that's their lifestyle. They Not so much fighting police, but, you know, they... they tour with their bands when they can they they they're adults they and they and they live in a shared house with like five roommates yeah and, that, and that's fine because that's their lifestyle that's what they've chosen their path to be but that comes back to our point about being a metalhead it's not just one thing it can mean so much to, mm -hmm. to people in different ways and so don't be one of those people that says well Man, you're a Christian and metalhead. No, you don't. You don't like metal. You can't be metalhead. You don't really represent anything about it. Like, you. I've known Christian people who actually are okay with gay marriage. Like, it, you don't have to like generalize certain aspects of people to think that they can't be a certain way or appreciate the music itself. Um, sometimes, like Nico said, uh, if I'm listening to black metal or death metal. The lyrics may be so off the wall that I just don't give a shit. To it. It's just the riffs and the the, the beats and the, the way the songs are that I can headbang to. That's what I care about. So And it comes back to exactly what I said. I just really started liking the music for entertainment purposes when I was a kid. It's just all entertainment, it's folks. It's fun. All right. We're moving on into our next block. Uh, a couple of good stuff from the Vision Bleak and Swallow the Sun. New stuff from Pulsar. This is going to probably drive Neko crazy, at least the middle one. Mm -hmm. uh, here's the vision bleak into the unknown.
Racing fan want to be a part of a winning team, then contact Carmichael Racing. Carmichael Racing is currently looking for sponsors for the upcoming champ and flat card season. You can be a part of a long tradition of racing as Paul and Rhea L race to the finish line in Mardella Speedway at Diamond Head Arena in Dillsburg, PA, March 13th through the 15th, 2020. They will also be racing at Hunterstown Speedway and Kepler City Speedway in Ashland, Virginia. Racing runs deep in the blood at Carmichael Racing. And they are looking to gain sponsors for a new upcoming season. If interested, you can contact them at 443-202-3016. That's 443-202-3016. You can also find them on Facebook at SRChamp36. Carmichael Racing. Together you can soar as the engines roar.
ACDC systems down, but we're up. I love it. Up like a boner. Uh. <laughs> so, so it's about that time for DJ Neko's pick of the week. That's right. It's my pick of the week. So last week when we were doing the podcast. Yeah, I, I think we always end up like singing the lyrics to this for some odd reason. I, yeah, and like but no I, matter what it is, it may not even be relevant, but we just start doing it. Well, if mm, mm, <laughs> well, like if I don't feel like doing something, I'm like fuck that, fuck that. Yeah, yeah, that's basically <laughs> just man, fuck that. So or we do like the whole like the Friday thing, like well, fuck, well, fuck you. you. But I don't know. I was. I like this song a lot. It doesn't have a lot of personal significance like some of my other ones do. And I honestly... God, it's been a while since this came out, but like... (laughs) It's not even part of the song, but I wrote it. You wrote it. (laughs) (laughs) So, I can remember on Howard Stern, uh, Robin Quivers singing this song, and I just love this song. But honestly, it's my my go-to song. If I'm just not feeling it, I just want to say, fuck that, fuck fuck that. So, without further ado, here is Corn. Corn on a cob, you need a new new job. job. (laughs) Y'all want a single. Here we go. Y'all want a single now? Some corn, y'all are going to fucking like it. Or fuck that, fuck that. (laughs) Attention, please. Be prepared for a musical transformation that you've never felt before. In a moment, we will bring you on a journey like there's no tomorrow. And we will break new ground. Hailing from the land below the wind. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. Ladies and gentlemen, DJ Neko's pick of the week. Let's go say fuck that. Shit, I think it's lame. It's time to stop the game. 
I think it's time to pay for everything you make me say. Y'all want a single say fuck that. Fuck that. Fuck that. Fuck that. Y'all want a single say fuck that. Fuck that. Fuck that. Fuck that. Y'all want a single say fuck that.
This is Sky Nielsen Promotions. I offer the most affordable, effective, independent metal promotions one can find. If you've got a metal band, project, or art that you want promoted, simply search for Sky Nielsen Promotions. And you're listening to Hordes of Chaos on Metal Tavern Radio. She's in love with herself. Okay, ADD. You're wonderful. You're just very impatient. Yes, I know. I'm impatient. You're the one snooping around trying to find stuff. There is no snooping. This is my home. Yeah, okay. DJ Nubis and DJ Neko sort of here. She's so preoccupied with everything else right now. But uh, So we had a chance to check out a documentary last night called All This Mayhem and sort of in some ways correlates to what I was talking about the Metalhead stuff. You know, you have even within the skater circles i guess you know because we we're fans of the movie lords of dogtown and the history behind that and even though the stuff with uh, the papa's brothers and tony hawk all came later on uh it shows there was some issues even within that where like a sense of entitlement or elitism it's always like that there's always some kind of group that feels like they have an, a sense of entitlement or elitism with uh something right uh, so the, this it's a documentary about the Papa's brothers, uh, Tass and Ben Papas, and I never really knew much about them. But then again, I don't follow skateboarding all that much. But uh, apparently, like in the '90s, the early to mid '90s, they became pretty big. Mm-hmm. They're from Australia, a couple of brothers who f- found ways as kids to get into trouble. But the one thing that they were able to do was actually skateboard. And they wanted to make it in America, so they ended up coming out. I forgot how, but they got out to America and got into the circuit. And, you know, their biggest goal at the time was to try to take down Tony Hawk. Like, they wanted to beat him. And I don't know what the animosity was at the time, but as they started... These guys are actually really good. They were really good at their draft, and, uh, you know, they were ranked high at some points and others but they were also very short-lived and well that could that's their own problem right and that's what we're getting into is that you know for as talented as they were they were the instruments of their own destruction in the end um and we'll get to some uh there's an article that was by um skateboarding.transworld.net and which we'll get to in a minute but there's a lot of accusations by Tass uh, Pappas in this who doesn't have any very fond things to say about Tony Hawk. Says that Hawk was basically a whiner and that this, I, I guess it's the organization or the tours would often cater him. They, they, he tried to imply that everything was in favor of Tony Hawk. Well, Tony Hawk had already kind of made a name for himself. Right. You know. So, he's, he, he's like, you know, the Michael Jordan of, of fucking skateboarding. People who don't even know anything about skateboarding know who Tony Hawk is, so... And I think we kind of saw that with, like, you know, Tass was basically saying, you know, they'd go to these events early on, and, they, you know, they'd be like, oh, well, they're always just talking about Tony, but, you know, they're basically whining themselves. 
And then, of course, when skateboarding really caught on and became more mainstream with, like, the Warp Tour and stuff like that, uh, the, the Papa's Brothers, you know, they sort of got this, I don't know, this uh, idea that they, you know, skateboarding had become unpure at that point. They just didn't like the way that it was going. <laughs> it felt like it was all about showboating and not enough technicality. And uh, even though that's not true, if you've ever watched any of the stuff they do, they have their special shows for tricks and stuff like that, but then they also have the competitive things that they were doing, even back with Pirelli and those guys that started it all from Cali. Um, but the problems with the Pops Brothers is that they also had a, a very bad addiction problem to drugs and alcohol. Mm -hmm. Uh, partying, it was that was them and their scene. Well, yeah, they were a the perfect example of some guys who, when they finally hit that top point, when they actually, when Taz actually beat Tony in a competitive match, and he was ranked number one in the world, at least the number one at that tournament, you know, they just kind of stopped. Like, it was all about partying, they were blowing through money. They had actually joined forces with a couple other guys. I forget the name of the, uh, the company they were working for. Um, but even the guys in the company that they joined up with after a while were like, look, man, you're blunt with this money and we're not making any money. And they uh, hurt. He was hurt. Tass was hurt. Yeah, he broke a rib, uh, continued to. Uh, and he, of course, he plays blame on that for losing to Tony in that particular match. Um, but yeah, they, they allowed themselves to get drawn into the drugs and all this other stuff. And they kind of like, oh, well, we're at the top now, so we can stop. And, you know, anyone who ever follows any kind of athletics or sports knows that if you're going to be the best, you, you have to kind of do it for a long time. Mm -hmm. Michael Jordan, Tony Hawk, John Elway, you know, stuff like that. Uh, it takes a lot of work to remain there, and these guys didn't want to do that. They just felt like, oh, well, we've done what we need to do. Now we'll just, like, they thought they could just coast the rest of the way, and it didn't turn out that way, and even worse... And more so with the brother Ben. I think he was the youngest one. Yeah, uh, Ben was younger. Because Tass came out first. Right. So, basically, um, what ended up happening after this was... How did Ben go? Ben Ben went back to Australia just to visit. But on his way, he decided he was going to try sneak in some drugs. And got caught doing Because he was that. trying to make money. He was being a drug mule. Right. So... He got caught at the uh, the border, uh, I don't know, the, yeah, I guess it would be the border, sort of, when he flew into Australia and they arrested him, and he was in jail for that for a little while, I think like three years, uh, but he was banned from coming back to America, that was one of the big deals there, was that he could not come back, and so he was unable to compete anymore over there, so meanwhile, Taz is still competing in America, doing his thing. And meanwhile, Ben in Australia, he's sort of letting himself go. He's into drugs heavily. He hooks up with some chick who has, like, drug connections. So he's his life is kind of, like, falling apart over in Australia while Taz is trying very hard to keep it together in America. And he actually gets married, I think, at one point. Has a couple of kids. But he still has this, like, axe to grind with Tony Hawk. And I remember he was in and out of jail, too. So one of the big deals about this, and this is where the article from uh, Skateboarding Transworld comes into effect, uh, there was an event, I think, in 1997, I think was a year. It was just for tricks and everything, so a certain 
skateboarders were invited to participate in this. It wasn't like any competitive thing really in terms of uh, points or anything like that. It was just go in there, do some tricks, and then of course whoever does the best gets whatever mm-hmm. trophy or whatever. Uh, now leading up to this, Tass Pappas was known or seen by friends and other people who were fans working on practicing what was called a 900. So he's doing, I, I can't really explain it in detail because I kind of forget, but it's all about going up and doing some spins and coming back down and landing it. Well, now, one spin is 360 degrees, so 360, 360. Yes, and... well, multiple spins. Mm-hmm. But I, but it's a difficult thing to achieve. Now, what happens at this event is when Tass is there, he's told by some... Uh, officials there that he's not participating in that event and he was a little surprised by that and he was asked who all was invited and of course there's some other names but one of the names was tony hawk yeah and he was butthurt like because there's a lot of old footage of this stuff they even have their like their own home movies and this one you could see his face he was just at the end of it. And, the re- and the reason for this is and we'll get into more of this, but the reason for this is that Tony goes into this event, he does a couple 720s or whatever he was planning on doing, and then he starts working the 900, and he tries two or three times, and then finally he fucking lands it. Like, he lands it. Now, the thing about this is, Tony's already kind of, like, up there in age. He's already starting to age beyond, and whereas Taz is still a young guy. And if you go back to the whole thing about, like, after an event before that where... Taz had beaten Tony, and then Ben comes up and starts yelling at Tony because Tony's supposedly complaining mm-hmm. that he should have won the event. You know, Ben's like, "Well, you're just an old fart. You know, you're, you're you don't have you can't you can't flip your board, can't do all this." And so, going into this event, uh, Taz felt like that he was being shooed out because see, Taz and Ben were kind of like uh, going against the grain. They didn't like the mainstream they didn't like uh plain ball um so they they were sort of he kind of felt like they were getting black blackballed from you know the things they should be getting it felt like they should have been winning more stuff because they were doing more stuff and when you're watching as you're you kind of like well, okay i kind of see what your point there but the article that i'm referring to uh net is an interview done with uh, Tony Hawk and it's done by Mackenzie Eisenhower and uh, this is back in June of 2015 so this doc came out in 2014 so this is pretty soon after right after that. yeah and the guy goes through this a lot and you know asking Tony a lot of different questions a lot of things about the doc itself and what it meant and why Tony never spoke on it and Tony was like well a couple of things one uh, there wasn't much outside of people who already knew about the dog that were commenting on it. Most of them, for me and NECA, we just found this in 2020. So, and we're not the biggest skateboard fans, but we know enough about it that if we had seen this three or four years ago, we probably would have watched it then. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it wasn't being talked about much. Now, part of that, I think, is because it's all pretty biased uh, in a sense that... Well, it was made by Vice, so... Right. It's... You know, Taz and the film crew and people that knew Taz uh, directly, uh, people he worked with and skated with and friends, etc. So that might be one reason why. 
So eventually this uh, doc comes out and Tony's being interviewed about it. He's like kind of shooting back as saying, no, this didn't happen. No, this didn't happen. And one of the big things was he pointed to the fact that this trick called the 900 was something that Tony and other skaters, skateboarders had tried two years after Tony got started. Now, Tony got started in 1987 and said that people had always been trying to do the 900 two years after that. So they were already trying to attempt this stuff. Uh, and, of course, uh, Tony's pointing to certain other skateboarders who say, yeah, you know, he has a pretty good method of how to try to land it, etc. So the Tony I, was already working on it in the 80s. A lot of, a lot of skateboarders mm -hmm. were. And, but Taz will lead you to believe in his doc that... He was the only one right, like who he, could even attempt it. Right, and the one thing else thing that Tony mentions is that at the time that Taz was practicing this move, uh, it wasn't just like it was just known within his own circles. Like apparently everybody on the circuit knew about it because there was video out there of him uh -huh. practicing it. So going into the tricks and thing that they were doing, everyone was already aware of what Taz was going to try to do, even if he was going to participate. So. Taz was trying to say, like, if he had the chance to be up there, he would have landed it, and it would have been him. And, and that that could that's a possibility, but the way that he went about it, he was just kind of like saying, "Well, no, they're just working against me. They didn't want me to compete because they don't want me to steal the sunshine from Tony." And I, you know, I know that kind of stuff goes on at different levels of athletics and sports, but if you can't be honest about everyone kind of knowing because the way that Taz was going about this was like nobody knew that he was practicing like this he said there's no way that Tony could have known I was practicing that mm -hmm. and he stole it from me or whatever this is and Tony's like no everybody fucking knew you were practicing it <laughs> everybody and he said myself and everybody else have been practicing for years so Tony had said in this interview that he came into this tricks and things to just do a 720, it's something that he liked doing. He had he had spent a lot of time practicing. But he did it on the first try when he did it. So he said, well, I still had to go out there and do a couple more things. So at that point, I said, well, why not just go and try to do the 900? You can believe it or not. It doesn't matter. He spent the rest of the time trying to do land this 900, which eventually he did. He said some other guy a couple years later ended up doing it as well. Taz never got it. Uh, now, there's different things for that, reasons for that, is Taz, I think, what was the issue he got in the drugs again? Was that him being in jail for that? Oh, yeah, because he tried he to... He was trying to smuggle drugs in on his skateboard. Like, it was right. inside his skateboard. Kind of clever, but the, I think the dogs picked up on well, it. Well, apparently, there's, like, cocaine detection oh, yeah, in... Yeah, yeah. in um, Australia's airport. It picks up yeah. residue and shit, so, yeah. Um, you have to be careful with that kind of stuff. But uh, anyway, that that's sort of Taz's issue there. He goes to jail for a little bit. But back in Australia, uh, Ben is falling apart. And basically, this girl that Ben has been involved with, like, I don't know, it seems like Ben tried to want to get away from it because he just he knew drugs were bad for him. But he just couldn't. So he shows up at one of the local areas where they practice skateboarding mm -hmm. and having fun. And one of his friends who he was living, living with at one point said that, you know, he just wasn't skating. He looked despondent and he didn't like, like he didn't like anybody. Oh, you like, you like my word, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, 
it turns out that a few days later, the girl that he was dating, the drug girl, uh, ended up being killed and murdered and wrapped in some sort of shit. I, I think she was like a river or something. Yeah, they found her in a river, and she was wrapped in... Um, like so Ben Ben was staying with a friend, and they're not quite sure like if Ben was on a bender or something, but he was at a friend's house, and then the next day, or I don't know if it was exactly the next day, but when they found her... Now, the friend said that, like, like a period of time that he would see less and less of Ben, and that things from his house would end up missing. Yeah. So, like, a backpack, um, a blanket of sorts, or a comforter, whatever it was... And these were some of the things that were found not only at the house where the girl lived, but she was wrapped in that particular blanket. And the guy who was friends with Ben trying to help him at the time was, like, you know, very upset that he saw those things was involved. And he knew right away uh, Ben was responsible for that. Uh, ben had disappeared, though. And then a couple of days later, Ben was found drowned in the harbor. And uh, apparent suicide, obviously, I think. At that point, he knew the game was up. Because uh, I think they did say that when they showed the news uh, clip that Ben had said, shut that off. Like, I think he knew he was done at that point because I don't think he expected anybody to find her. Mm -hmm. uh, so, eventually, the father calls Tass in America lets him know what's going on. And he's in jail. So, you know, he's... Oh, God, if he's in jail in America, I'm trying to think what happened in America. He, he, this is what I mean. These are the worst people on the face of the earth. I, I like. I have no sorry feelings for them at all. Yeah, yeah you kind of want to try to feel for them, but at the same time, a lot of it was like they're just. That's all they wanted. Like, I, I was kind of wrong. Like I was telling Nega last night. Like maybe they just weren't raised very well by their parents, but it seemed like their parents' relationship were pretty good. Uh, they seemed to get along with their dad very well, even when their dad passed. It, it, it affected them enough. Uh, obviously, Tassel was devastated by Ben's death, but uh, these guys, as teens, you know, I mean, the, the doc tries to play it off as just teens being teens. Now, I know this because I've done stupid shit, but lighting cats or animals on fire, uh, trying to get them to fart or whatever it was, and some of that stuff's just like borderline animal cruelty, and I, I, Neck and I just don't get on board with any of that shit at all. Uh, but eventually, Taz does get out, and he finds another girl through, before he even gets out, I think it was. Because he, yeah, she had a baby, and it was his kid, so he's got, like, a bunch of baby mamas. Yeah, he's a son, and he calls him Billy, who reminds him of Ben. Uh, but he still has the two daughters. He's back in Australia. I think that's what happened. He got thrown back in Australia because he's been trying to connect with his girl. Who the hell knows? I can't with this. <laughs> But, uh, it's an interesting doc anyway, but you kind of have to take it with a grain of salt just because of the angle that was put into it, and that's why I kind of went into, before we were talking about it, to try to figure out what Tony Hawk had to say about it, because obviously they made it a point to kind of point to him as, like, being this anti-hero or, like, the guy that everyone loves to hate, but that's not the case, like, it's, I think Tony, from everybody, all the people that know him and you know, competed against him, know that he's a pretty straight-up dude. Uh, so I kind of believe Tony over these guys, just because, like Neko said, they were on drugs a lot of times, and they were doing heroin and all sorts of shit. So 
it's sort of like a woe is me type thing, I think, at this point with them, and they're just kind of bitter about it, but a lot of it's just their own undoing. They had a chance to really, like, you see some of the moves these guys do, uh, and I'm pretty impressed. Like, they could do some shit out there, but they felt like they were sort of entitled to everything. Like, they come into America thinking we were already the best there was, and it took them a while just to even get, it took them like four years to finally beat Tony in any kind of match. So I'm just kind of like, you know, once you've gotten to that plateau, it's great, but you got to keep that up. You can't just be a one-off and say, oh, yeah, I'm done. I've, I've done what I needed to do. If you're going to really be the best, you got to be the best. Don't, don't half-ass it. Well, I mean, the other problem was, yeah, you can stop, but they thought that it was just going to keep coming. They yeah. were just going to keep getting the accolades and stuff. The money and yeah, all that Yeah, if you, if you want to stop something, that's your right, but they were acting like the money's never going to run out, and we're the best, and, you know, meanwhile they hadn't skateboarded in forever, and they're just partying and living that, that lifestyle. And the problem is, of course, the two guys that they had gone into business with had to let them go because, like, they just weren't making the money. Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't really... Taz, you know, at some point seemed like he understood that he had to get out there and work because once he had the baby with the first wife, he's like, oh, yeah, I got to take this more seriously. So you go out and do this smaller circuit stuff and make some money. But Ben had just fallen apart. Like, I don't, I don't know. You, you know, once he had gotten caught, like his first bust when he went back to Australia is what really broke him. Uh, he knew he fucked up. And because he was in jail for, like, three years, like, he just lost a will basically and knew he couldn't get back in America to compete so it was like just that was it for him that was all he had anyway interesting documentary I think that's on Amazon Prime so you can always check that out got some creator in a trench in the next block mm-hmm. here new stuff though from a band called War Agenda Human Race neat
Showing us some love there. Oh my gosh. Those guys are crazy as DJ Nibis. DJ Neko. Here you are, episode 90, Hordes of Chaos on the Metal Tavern Radio Podcast. So I don't remember if we talked about lightly or not about the Johnny Depp thing with Amber Heard and all that. I don't think we actually... It's been a while because like this thing pops up... Every so often. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, the funny thing is, like, you know, Amber Heard and Johnny Depp were going through a divorce, and it's ugly, and, you know, there's talk between them hurting each other and abusing each other. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but, uh, you know, the, the funny thing about a lot of this stuff is, a lot of times when it's going on, you can only rely on what information is coming out at you, mm-hmm. regardless if it's news bits or articles or whatever. And I think... For a long time, I was because I knew Amber Heard already had some like past issues with girlfriends that she was involved with. That there's some violence issues in there, so uh, so I was kind of backing Johnny Depp here. I was like, you know, judging by the video I saw where you know he was throwing things, he was mainly throwing things like away from her, but it was in her direction. And apparently, they had some other issues like altercations before that where he lost a finger and it was. Supposedly by her. What? Yeah. Um, but, and so, like, I'm sitting there saying, like, I always get these things in the emails that say, like, uh, petitions for, you know, Amber Heard not to star in the next Aquaman and all this other stuff. So, you know, I'm signing this stuff, like, okay, yeah, because she's kind of a bitch and she treats him like ass. And so, but, 
lately there was an article that came out a couple of weeks ago because uh, they've been in court doing this thing and the court documents actually say a whole different thing. Um, obviously, both of them are not a very good fit for each other. Both of them are very volatile uh, and don't get along the way they should as a couple. But apparently, Depp has been kind of like misleading people and not being 100% honest in how he treated her. And Apparently, he cut his own fucking finger. Oh, really? Yeah. And so... Um, it's not a good look for him, and he lost his uh, suit against her, whatever. I forget what he was suing her for. It was a libel suit. Yeah. So he lost that, and when the court documents got released, it exposed a lot of his misdeeds and whatnot. And obviously, he lost his job for Fantastic Beasts, uh, the third one in that series. And then he walked away from Pirates of the Caribbean. And there's an article on Screen Rat that's talking about how why the Pirates franchise doesn't really need Johnny Depp anymore, and I agree and disagree with it. Um, I'll get into the first part of it, where I think Depp was great as Jack Sparrow. I know you do, too. Yeah, I loved him as Jack Sparrow. The Sparrow. first three films were really, really good. Uh, the last two that I did eventually see were not as good, but it wasn't because... The article points to that as being like an oversaturation of Jack Sparrow, like Jack Sparrow becoming more of a caricature... Uh, of the series and, and to some degree that's true but then others like he's really what carries it now the problem is once Kira Knightley and Orlando Bloom were out of the equation for the most part I felt like the movies took a hit because the storylines weren't as good and the chemistry between Depp and the rest of the cast that he was working with wasn't quite as good either so the article wants to point to the fact that, you know, Depp really shouldn't be involved anyway. They should just go a clean slate, which they're probably going to do. They're working on a sixth one now. And I'm not sure exactly how they're going to approach it, but if they bring back Knightley and Bloom, that's great. I mean, they're good characters. They were fun characters to watch during the first three films. Apparently in the last two, towards the end of each film, there's like a little piece of their history in there. Because, uh, you know, we all know that Bloom takes over for Davy Jones. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, the, the thing about Depp is, like, his career is probably pretty much over. I mean, he'll eventually make his way back into some independent films, I'm sure, and to try to build himself back up. But uh, as far as, like, the mainstream stuff, he was already kind of hurting himself because he'd taken his Sparrow character and used it in... Lone Ranger and some other stuff that didn't really work because you kind of saw what he was doing. Uh, he kind of just eventually lost his originality. I think Johnny Depp lately... I'm trying to think, what else has he done since before Pirates of the Caribbean? Like, at the same time. I feel like all of his characters kind of revolve around Jack Sparrow now right. when he's well, acting. Apparently Depp has like a major drug and alcohol addiction. That's part of his problem. And he did a movie with uh, Angelina Jolie, which was like a spy movie. didn't really work very well. The chemistry wasn't there. Uh, there was another one where he was playing like a drunkard uh, at a resort or something. I can't remember exactly, but it, it was like the Drunken Diaries or something. But, it, you know, it was, again, it was another, oh, it's Jack Sparrow, only modern day. Okay. Uh You know, it, it, he doesn't have any of the originality like he had in Edward Scissorhands or... <clears throat> um, the what's the 
Sweeney Todd, stuff like that. Uh, you know, once he did Jack Sparrow, he kind of just carried that particular persona all the way through to his other stuff that was similar in theme. Uh, as far as, like, his characters were concerned. If it was a goofy character... Like, even Fear and Loathing was, like, a better character by itself. Mm-hmm. Um, than what's been going on lately. But... So maybe he just needs time to, like, dial it back himself as far as his career and how he wants to approach his acting because he's not really standing out anymore like he once was. And even though he was good friends with uh, Tim Burton, uh, you can only go down that one-trick pony so many times before people get annoyed by it. Uh, but I wasn't really, like, pissed that he was in the last two Pirates movies because, you know, he is a main character. Uh, but I did feel like without the other cast that he had, that they weren't as strong as films. And you do have to be kind of careful when you're doing that, that you're not repeating yourself. And the other two films looked like they were kind of following the same theme uh, as the ones before that. So if they go on this, the sixth film, I'm not sure how they're going to reboot it or who's going to be involved with it. But we'll see how it goes. But I just, you know, it was it, my whole idea about Depp has changed a lot since those court documents came out because I really wanted to believe in him and you know it's like I feel like guys in general sometimes do get the short end of the stick when it comes to women because in society our double standards about violence on men is a lot different than violence on women so the fact that even if Amber Heard is kind of like her own grade A kind of self uh, she kind of got out of this because he's a bigger douchebag than she was so oh my god yeah so anyway, that's how I feel about that. You got any thoughts? Well, not really. Like, I think I'm start starting to like get tired of Johnny Depp. I'm kind of like you. It's like I really believed in him, and I didn't. You know, I thought that Amber Heard was really making everything up, and yeah. I I was really on his side. You know, mainly. Yeah, it's like, you know, you when you read about Hurd's history, you're like saying to yourself, well, Depp doesn't sound like the kind of guy to do this purposely. So, like, you know, you kind of feel for him, and, you know, he's a good actor. Like, I'll give him credit. His role in the last Fantastic Beast movie, which I like better than the first one, he's really good at it. He was good at it. I like the character. I've I liked never the movie. seen any It wasn't of bad. Um, but that's really just like the small percentage mm -hmm. of what he's been doing that hasn't really been very good but now we have all this information i'm just like dude what, how, how can he self-destruct and do all this shit like this uh so yeah just you know it's time i guess he steps back and you know there's always it's kind of how hollywood is you know if you're slip up once like emma watson hasn't done anything in like three years so uh, and a lot of that's her own decision, but, you know, that's one of the things. You, once you've missed something, unless you're in the spotlight time and time again, uh, keeping your name up. Even Lawrence, I don't think she's been in much lately either. So there's always these new names of actresses and actors coming up because they're... I mean, but everybody does. I mean, look at Robert Downey Jr. Like, he fell off the face of the earth with his drug and alcohol problem and came back as Iron Man. Yeah. It it happens. It's not. But he's often. always done some great, interesting characters. Tony, uh, Chaplin, mm -hmm. um, just 
some odd and end stuff that he's done over the years, and then he got Iron Man, and he blew that out of the park. So. I mean, he was perfect for it. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not that Depp can't come back down the road, but obviously he's got a lot of things to ponder about, not just his personal life, but uh, his characters. Like, he's got to find a way to distance himself from Sparrow now. Like, he's got to just refocus on something else, because... As we both agreed, you know, he was carrying that persona into different characters that had nothing to do with pirates at all. Yeah, and maybe he, like, thinks he's Captain Jack Sparrow. I mean... Like, literally, when I, you didn't see Lone Ranger, did you? Um, no. I watched, it was a dreadful fucking movie, and him... It's already a problem him playing Tonto, just for many different reasons, but... His character, Tonto, was basically Jack Sparrow as, as an Indian... And that's part of my problem is he was just taking something and adding it to a, a different character when it shouldn't have been there. He didn't bring any kind of originality to Tonto at all. It's kind of sad. Yeah, well, the movie was a shitstorm all the way around, so it wasn't just depth that failed the issue there. But, yeah, just... <laughs> uh, hopefully he can get his shit together and find a way to back like Downey Jr. did. Because I do remember what you're talking about. Downey was, like, really struggling... Uh, way back when, but he found a way to dig himself out and kept working and did a pretty good job. So that's that. So, okay, uh, we're going to... Get back to the music. Yeah, we got some good stuff coming up. New stuff from Lakali Shroud, uh, Revulsion, Chainbreaker. But in this next block, we got some classic material from Death and also Skeletal Remains. Here we go, which Neko's wearing some Skeletal Remains as we speak. Here's without judgment, death.
Difficulties. <laughs> DJ Nubis. And DJ Neko. Back with you, getting ready to close another edition of the Hordes of Chaos, episode 90. Good, good podcast. Good topics. A lot of fun stuff to talk about. Yeah. Good music. Yeah. You really have up that early black metal stuff, huh? <laughs> I don't know. I've just never really been that into black metal. Unless it's Demu. Except for Demu. And then I remember I was listening to the radio and uh, I forgot. It was some Demu song came on. I was like, yeah, this Demu song came on. I was like, oh, this is terrible. Just give me progenesis. And you're like, oh my god, that's like their best. Uh, it's their best. And I'm like, really? It's uh, the best it man can get. Yeah. Oh, oh my god. So yeah. Whatever. Whatever. We're out of here. I gotta start planning out what I'm gonna do for music next week. I'm so far behind. It's been busy. Busy, busy, busy. Anywho, uh, we're gonna get out of here. Hope y'all enjoyed it. I had a good time. I guess I should go full clothes, huh? <laughs> back to adulting. Adulting. I have to go back to adulting. We metalheads have to adult every now and then. Gotta take care of the house and stuff like that. Thank yeah. you all for tuning in. We appreciate your support as always. Tomorrow I'll be uh, getting that rug in the bedroom. Yeah. Yeah. That's gonna be a joy. Well, I'll get you when I need you. I'll just leave it at that. I'll, I'll... <laughs> That's basically how it's gonna happen because, like, tomorrow's football day. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I got one last track from it's the latest uh, from the latest Vader release. Ooh. So we're gonna close it out with a bang. It's called "And Satan Wept." Wait a minute. That says ETA. Huh? It, oh, there it is. I see it. Ah. ah it queued up before. I, I didn't ready, see so. that. I didn't see that it queued up before we started. I was like, "Where did it go?" There's no music there. No music. Well, we love Vader. I love Vader. <sighs> <laughs> All right, we're out of here. Enjoy the rest of your weekend, folks. Good night. Bye.